Hello again, everybody. It is time for another episode of the Silver Bullets podcast. And I'm Michael Citro. I'm Chip Minnick. Chip, the bye week has come and gone. And it is once again time to get ready for some Ohio State football. But as we do every week, let's look back at our predictions. What did we have predicted for the bye week? Well, um, watching other other teams around the nation and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, maybe working on that honeydew list and and those kind of things. That's I think that's kind of what was on the on the predictions. OK, no honeydew list. It's college football. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here with that. You can miss me with that. Uh, all right. Yes. The Big Ten was in uh, action this weekend and we will. Well, you know, normally after the break, we do our our walk through the Big Ten, but with no Ohio State game to look back upon, uh, we can get to our our Big Ten scoreboard watching. And of course, all eyes at the noon game. We're on uh, Michigan and Penn State uh, in the big house and Penn State coming in ranked 10th hadn't lost Michigan coming in ranked fifth hadn't lost and this was not a contest, Chip. This was uh, Penn State not being very good or not looking very good or Michigan looking really good. And we just don't know which of those things it is. Well, I definitely think it's more of the latter. I think that Michigan actually is good. I think that Penn State, the fact that, that I, I mean, it's blatantly obvious when you give up over 400 yards of rushing uh, to Michigan they are not as good as you know. I, I will I will freely admit as as I thought. Um, you know now I will say that I think a big part of that is Penn State defensive failings, and what I mean by that is there were some times where you know instead of you know recognizing the fact that Michigan was going to run the ball continually, they just they would just you know have uh, five you know, five defenders. You know, uh, you know, six defenders that would easily get blocked by the Michigan offensive line. Like instead of putting eight in the box and daring Michigan to throw downfield, I think that they just played right into the Michigan offensive strategy. Yeah, I don't really know what Manny Diaz was going for on Saturday. I don't I don't know what the game plan was because it didn't seem to be a coherent game plan. It just seemed to be, well, we're just going to stay in our base and see see if they can beat us. And when they showed them that they could beat it, they didn't make any adjustments. I mean, it was honest. I mean, looking back on it as, as objectively as I possibly can, you know, you know, that, uh, you know, watching it in the first half, you know, Penn state was so lucky to be in that game in the sense that, you know, the first few drives that Michigan would drive down the field, the Penn state defense would, you know, they would finally, okay, make it more difficult. And, and Michigan had to kick field goals. And, and then, all right, Sean Clifford had a, had a long run, which led to a Penn State touchdown. And then Penn State had a, I mean, an interception, which still, I mean, it was more of a miracle than any, I mean, because it bounced off the player's head, you know, into the arms of a defender and he took, mm-hmm. it, to, took it to the house. But when you look back on it, getting back to my point about trying to be as objective as possible, I mean, you take away those. I mean, Penn State truly was never in this game. I mean, it was because of of those kind of more like fluke plays that Penn State even had points on the board. Yeah, Michigan had 
like you said, they were they were able to get down the field pretty easily. And Penn State would bend but not break in the early going. And they gave up a couple field goals in the first quarter, but nothing to worry about. And then Michigan did get a touchdown, made it 13-0. Penn State did a good job of responding on their next drive to get back in the game. And then you had the, the interception return uh, for the touchdown. And all of a sudden, Penn State's leading this game with four and a half minutes to play in the first half. But then they just let Michigan come right down the field. Took It took them 11 plays to go 60 yards, and they kicked the field goal and take the lead going into the half, and it's at 16-14. But you can almost get a sense that's where that's where the game kind of was won by Michigan. They they said, well, okay, we we took their their punch and we answered it, and and then they kind of settled down from that point on, and they only I think the uh, the rest of the way they they what what they went. 25 to three, I think outscored them the, the second half. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was an absolute bloodletting in the second half. I mean, it just, and again, you know, for Michigan, they had, you know, Blake Corum, um, he went well over a hundred yards. Um, uh, Edwards did even more. Yeah. Edwards ran for yeah. 173 yards, you know, and then I, I'm almost positive that, that JJ McCarthy had, you know, decent, game just you know on quarterback keepers so you know the fact that they went over 400 yards and going into the game the Penn State defense was highly ranked uh defensively I mean it either was like you said you know like you know like a uh you know just maybe just complete um you know like refusal to you know to you know to acknowledge hey we're we're getting beat by you know by what we're doing by Manny Diaz or maybe whoever Penn state played before. And I'm going to throw Auburn in there. Wasn't really that good of, of a, of an opposing offense, which is, which kind of overinflated Penn state's thoughts about their defense. Yeah, well, and it, it may just be that this is the team that Penn state has trouble with because Michigan or Penn, I think Michigan has given Penn state like four of its worst beatings in the last 10 years or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it, I, memory serves. It was, you know, about six years ago, um, Penn State went there and, you know, Michigan throttled them. And, and then all of a sudden Penn State went on a tear. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think, you know, Penn State, I mean, they're going into, obviously they've got um, a game against Minnesota at home, but Minnesota is going to try and do the exact same thing. They're going to mm-hmm. just, I mean, that's Minnesota makes no, they, they are just as, as blatantly obvious as Michigan. When it comes to their offensive philosophy, is to just mm-hmm. run the ball continually. Yeah, and Penn State is. Uh, well, I mean, I said it early in the game. I, I said James Franklin is James Franklining. It's some of the play <laughs> calling was weird. Some of the decision making was odd. The, the adjustments weren't getting made. And yeah, it was. It was a. It was like, like you said, it was a bloodletting. It is not supposed to get worse as the game goes on. You're supposed to adjust to what the other team's doing, but it seemed like it just kept getting worse and worse. And I don't know if Penn state at some point just gave up, but it, it I turned the game off because it was like, this well, isn't even competitive anymore. <laughs> okay. Well then that leads me to a question and, and it's okay. If you don't know the answer, um, you know, with Sean Clifford leaving the game due to injury and, and I don't know how severe. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, of the mindset that, oh, okay, well, you know, you know, they should just completely, you know, throw him aside. But 
I know that there's a lot of considerable chatter that, okay, Drew Aller, who is their freshman quarterback, now he looked like he 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 looked absolutely terrified. Um, yeah, he looked like a freshman I quarterback. <laughs> I mean, he looked like, okay, like, okay, I'm used to playing against Cleveland State Ignatius, and they're not nearly as tough and ferocious as these guys look. He he looked he looked very, very unsure of himself. My point being, um, I have no idea about the severity of Sean Clifford's injury. I guess the question I would have for you is at some point, when does Penn State say, you know something, Drew Aller is is our future? And thank you, Sean Clifford, for your 20 years of service uh to the Lions. And and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna start building for the future because I mean, we we have the same conversation when it comes to you know like making sure that Kyle McCord's prepared. Mm-hmm. You would think that like with Drew Aller, you know, like getting him. Now, granted, Penn State still, you know, like they they can get into a bowl game and all the you know all that. But um, what do you think? Like, do you think now is the time to cut the cord and go with Drew Aller? I don't think so. I, I mean, you rarely see a cor- a college coach do that because they are so tied to wins and losses, and they will go with the guy they trust more if if it happens to be the the younger guy they go with him but they they want to save their jobs they don't want to lose the locker room you know I, I don't know what Sean Clifford's popularity is among the upperclassmen but I imagine he's been with them a while and they probably have a great deal of support for him so I would I would assume that if healthy Sean Clifford is their quarterback in the little bit of time that I've seen Drew Aller he doesn't look ready to me no, he doesn't. And, it, and not the just thing. the Michigan yeah. game, but in some of the other games he's played in. Yeah. I mean, he, again, he highly touted. I never saw him play, even though, you know, like Medina is about, let's just say like 45 minutes from where I live. So I never, I never saw him play. Um, but, uh, you know, highly touted guy that, you know, let's just, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like, you know, without the Quinn Ewers commitment, more than likely would have been in Ohio State target at quarterback um you know just you know that the whole ohio you know ohio kid type thing um but you're right i mean i don't know if he's prepared and unfortunately for him you know when you've got okay minnesota and ohio state on the horizon i don't know if putting them in against those teams necessarily is you know they talk about a baptism by fire that's what it would be. I just don't know, you know, the severity of Sean Clifford's injury. He might be forced to play. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to see how it goes. So Michigan wins 41 to 17. Not uh not the the good game that we had kind of anticipated and hoped for, but um Michigan rolls on and uh Penn State now behind the eight ball in the Big Ten East. Uh let us go to Champaign, Illinois, where the Fighting Burts are now six and one chip. They have uh, defeated the Minnesota Golden Gophers 26 to 14 in Champaign. And all of a sudden, it's a very real possibility we could get a a big 10 championship Illabuck game. We could, and just like we predicted, you know, back <laughs> yeah. in August. You know, Illinois and Purdue, that game in November, it's looking more and more like, you know, like that's going to be the, the determining game uh, for the Big Ten West. The reason, I mean, again, we're chuckling about it is, you know, like with Purdue, it's not, in all fairness, we'll talk about Purdue here. In, you know, Purdue is some some poor coaching slash, in, you know, uh, penalty situations from being undefeated. 
You know, let's mm-hmm. let's let's call that for what it is. Uh, but getting back to Illinois, hats off to 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 Bert. I mean, you know, we we mock and, and ridicule him. And I know, you know, how how badly you want that Illabuck game for the Big Ten championship, but he's taken a team that was just absolutely dreadful in under under Lovey Smith and in not even full two years has them, you know, not only bowl eligible, but playing arguably the the best football on that side of the conference. It is unfathomable that they lost to Indiana because they could be undefeated right now. That's right. You're absolutely right. Uh, And Bert is just, uh, and of course by Bert, we mean Brett Bielema. If you're just tuning in, that's our, our term of affection. We call him Bert. He is grinding Chase Brown into dust. 41 carries for 180 yards for Brown in that game. Um, is he going to have any bone or, or ligaments left at the end of the season? I don't know. I mean, that's a really good point. Is I mean, he, he is, again, very, very blatant. I mean, not subtle whatsoever about what they want to do offensively. Uh, you know, so yeah, you know, Chase Brown is, is, you know, if you want a, a you know a picture of a you know a workhorse, you know you'll see a picture of Chase Brown in the dictionary. Uh, you know, it's it's serving the needs right now of Illinois, and maybe you know that that will come back to haunt them later on in the season. Here's a thought that, and this has nothing to do with the Illabuck, but it has everything to do about the team that we were just talking about. And I'm I'm not suggesting that Illinois will would beat them. But Illinois and Michigan play the week before Ohio State and Michigan play. And I think that's the kind of game that, yeah, Michigan would be favored and probably would win. But that's the kind of game that could have a physical taxing on the Wolverines that could have an adverse effect on them, you know, one week later. As Admiral Akbar once said, it's a trap. There you go. Um, there you go. And, and- Illinois must have run a ton of plays because 41 carries for Chase Brown, but uh, Tommy DeVito went 25 of 32 for 252 yards. So he's uh, clearly Illinois is a different uh, team with DeVito as quarterback. Uh, so a big win for Burt in the, in the race for the Big Ten West because, you know, the, they're trying to row the boat in Minnesota, but the boat's got a hole in it and. It, it's not going. It's not going anywhere. So Minnesota's one and two in the Big Ten. Illinois is three and one. Let's go to Bloomington, Indiana, where this game was it looked like it was going to be all Maryland. And then uh, Talia Tungavailoa gets hurt, gets carted off the field. Indiana comes back, takes the lead. And then Maryland takes the lead back at the end and wins 38-33. The Hoosiers fall below 500 now at three and four. It doesn't look like uh, a great season is happening for them. Doesn't look like they're going to be bowl eligible, and um, you know, we've talked about how they they probably needed to beat Nebraska. They probably needed to steal a game against the Maryland uh, or something, and it's not going to happen. Maryland wins thirty eight thirty three, but we don't know how long uh, Tonga Vailoa is going to be out. And that, I mean, you want to talk about you know something that could dramatically change the trajectory of the season. You know, Tagovailoa is out for an extended period of time. Yeah, they beat Indiana with their with their backup, and uh, you know, you know, all is all is well. You know, in the sense that they they've got another W. But you know, when they start, you know, having to play against teams such as 
you know, Penn State against Ohio State, they're going to need to have Tagovailoa back. And so, I, I mean, as as we're recording this, maybe you know differently. I don't know the severity of that injury. Yeah, I haven't heard it yet either. Uh, we record this on on Monday, so um, when we when this drops on Tuesday, uh, it may be out, but we haven't uh, heard to this point how, what the severity is of that. But it doesn't look good whenever somebody has to leave on a cart. Um, especially if it's leg related, because that could be, that could be a severe injury. And, um, you know, that could, like you said, could change the trajectory of Maryland's season. Maryland's off to a five and two start, really good start, but they've got some tough games still to play. And, um, Ohio state goes there, of course, before the, the game also. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see how this affects them on to East Lansing chip where, (laughs) Remember last week when uh, Jim Leonard took over the Minnesota, uh, the Wisconsin Badgers and and obliterated Northwestern and we thought well he's going to he'll get off to a 2 and 0 start cuz Michigan State's terrible but that didn't happen because this one went into overtime and Michigan State wins 34 to 28 um I I didn't see the Spartans winning this game then again uh Wisconsin may have just Got that one week new coach bump and and gone back to what Minnesota, what what Wisconsin was. I keep wanting to call them other schools, but what Wisconsin was uh, prior to this game, it, it did not. Or prior to the Northwestern game, did just didn't see this one coming. It, it, we just saw Sparty, and they didn't look very good. No, they didn't. And I mean, both both programs. I mean, they they're both eager for a reset. You know, for unfortunately for Wisconsin, Michigan State came out ahead. Uh, you know, and from what I understand, it's the kind of thing up in, you know, having watched on uh, the Big Ten Network, Jim Leonard's press conference earlier today, that it's kind of, you know, I think that there's a lot of, I don't want to say finger pointing, that's that, that wouldn't be accurate, but a lot of soul searching of, okay, are you with us? Are you, are you willing to, you know, we want to find out, you know, like who, who's all in. And if you're not, fine but you know we're gonna we're gonna move on with the, the players who are all in and i think they're they're trying to they're trying to obviously sa- salvage their season and and figure out what they can do going forward so you know wisconsin they you know they're they're trying to just get back into you know the winning side of the ledger as far as the spartans go um they desperately needed this i, I mean four straight losses and the fact that okay yeah they they had their difficulties and their challenges, but they overcame them against Wisconsin. Now I believe they go into a bye week. They can rest up and they can prepare for a night game against Michigan. And, you know, for as, as difficult of a situation as that seems for the Spartans, Mel Tucker is two and zero in his, in his brief time there. And that includes, you know, in 2020 when, I mean, he was really, you know, shorthanded and he was able to beat Michigan. So who knows? Like I, I, I obviously the Wolverines will be, will be naturally favored, but um, that should be a good game on, on uh, October 29th. Yeah, good sign for the Spartans. Peyton Thorne had a huge game, 21 of 28, 265 yards and a couple touchdowns. Uh, Wisconsin was able to run the ball. Braylon Allen had a, a another nice game, 123 yards and two touchdowns, but, yeah, it was it was the Peyton Thorne to Jaden Reed show, and I, yeah, again, I, this one really floored me when I saw that this was even a close game, let alone uh, Michigan State pulling this one out. So, 
kudos to Sparty. You know, they're they're on the they're in the win column in uh, Big Ten play now, and Wisconsin is now one and three in the Big Ten West, uh, just like we predicted. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nebraska went to West Lafayette, something that no one should ever do. And uh, Nebraska lost by one score because that's Nebraska's thing, even in the post-Scott Frost era. Uh, 43-37, the final here. Uh, Nebraska made a game of it, and you know they fall to 2-2 two and two in the Big Ten, and Purdue goes to 3-1. and one. So right now, it is Illinois and Purdue atop the Big Ten West, and Nebraska, which had kind of undergone like a little mini renaissance there in the, the middle of the season, it wasn't to be, although an enormous day for Trey Palmer, seven catches, 237 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska's definitely playing better than they were under Scott Frost. Like you said, you know, like that's what they do. You know, that they lose a close game, you know, like seven points or less, uh, you know, with Purdue. I mean, they, they definitely have, you know, even though, like I said, they, they are um, arguably, you know, a, I'd say less than 10 points away from, from being undefeated themselves. They've also been living a little dangerously. Like some of their wins have been very, very close. So remains to be seen how good Purdue is. Like I said, I think, you know, Purdue and Illinois are definitely on a collision course for who's going to emerge from the, from the big 10 West. I, I think it's highly unlikely that either Purdue, I, let me rephrase that, that, that both Purdue and Illinois are going to do things that are going to, you know, throw the, the Big Ten West back into kind of a tailspin. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what's going on in the West. Just when you think you have it figured out, it tra- it changes dramatically. Uh, it's almost like no one wants to win the West. <laughs> there, there, there might be something to that. You never know. Well, we don't really want to go play against uh, Michigan or Ohio State. We just, we just rather not. I don't know, but yeah, it, it was, a, again, it was a short week in league play, but, uh, you know, some it, some very competitive games, Maryland, Indiana, uh, close, obviously, Wisconsin, Michigan State went into OT, and uh, Purdue and Nebraska was a one-score game, and then, of course, the, the game that we all wanted to see wasn't close. It wasn't a good game. Yeah, I mean, that, again, it was a surprise that, that, Penn State was so thoroughly dominated. I, it's not a surprise that Michigan won. It was that 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 Penn State was so thoroughly dominated. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we have a guest coming up, uh, Chip. But before we we welcome in our guest, we could probably talk a little bit about some of these national games that went on this weekend. Of course, the marquee game was Alabama at Tennessee. Tennessee had lost 15 straight in this uh, series. And this was an amazing game right from the get-go. And Tennessee looked like they were going to run away and hide early on. But Alabama got their offense going. Tennessee made some mistakes. Uh, But in the end, it looked like it was Alabama's game. They were driving. They had a chance to kick a field goal uh, to extend their lead, missed the field goal. And uh, and back came Tennessee. Tennessee came back, and, and they won the game on a late field goal. So, 52-49. 52-49. I know you watched this thing. Uh, Bryce Young had a, a huge day, but all everybody's talking about is the guy on the other side of the football for Tennessee. Yeah, I did watch it. I freely admit, um, you know, after watching the the thrashing of Penn State turning over to CBS, kind of what I wrote about 
my column for uh, Land Grant Holy Land um, last Friday that, yeah, this is an opportunity to kind of get, you know, a, a, I guess you could say like maybe a preview of a, of a potential college football playoff opponent. Um, you know, so I was, I wasn't necessarily surprised that Tennessee won because Alabama had been living dangerously, you know, earlier in the season against Texas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, you know, against Texas A&M. I mean, like they defensively, they are not nearly as stout as I think college football fans have come to expect a Nick Saban Alabama team to be. Yeah, they uh, got come shredded. Away. They got absolutely yeah. shredded. I mean, Hennon Hooker threw for 385 yards and five touchdowns. It just seemed like whenever Jalil uh, or Jalen Hyatt went deep, they didn't either. They either didn't try to cover him or were incapable of covering him. Yeah, I mean, I without a doubt, I, I definitely thought you know Tennessee was very very impressive. Um, so um, we'll see. You know, Tennessee and and Georgia, they still have to play for the SEC East. Uh, you know how that will will turn out, you know, and Alabama's not out of the woods yet. I mean, like they still have, you know, a game, you know, game against Ole Miss that I think is looking more and more daunting. I mean, Mississippi State, they like to throw the ball all over the place. You never know with LSU and and Brian Kelly with his well-renowned Southern accent, you know, like how he would motivate his team. Uh, anyway, it, I mean, it. I, the, I, the point I'm trying to make is uh, credit to Tennessee uh, because I do believe, you know, that they rose to the occasion, you know, against Alabama. Um, I'm sure that, you know, the new goalposts are going to be um, well protected um, you know, <laughs> after they're after they're installed. Yeah, so. I, I love that Tennessee reached out to uh, fans to ha- get donations, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, because their 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 football program generates no money. Um, yeah, they, they need to yeah. go buy some new goalposts. Precisely. Uh, We'll talk about some more of these uh, the, these major games from this weekend uh, in a little bit. And, of course, we're going to get to our Iowa picks to click and um, our score predictions, of course, all of that coming up later. We have a special guest coming in to help us talk about the Hawkeyes and learn a little bit more about what's going on in Iowa City. And we're going to get to that guest right after this. And we're back, Chip, and it's uh, our great pleasure to welcome in the editor-at-large of Go Iowa Awesome, Adam Jacoby, a man who's got his own hashtag on Twitter, hashtag follow Adam Jacoby. Adam, thanks so much for your time. Man, Mike, um, that hashtag is probably the oldest thing that's still like active on Twitter today. It (laughs) it dates back to the dark ages of uh are you <clears throat> excuse me have you were you on twitter long enough for like follow friday you remember follow yes. friday yes <laughs> just yes. an absolute just the worst use of twitter like outside of <laughs> slurs right <laughs> like like the worst harmless use of twitter uh because it would just like fill your mentions up with um like just like walls of names and you never want to like, I know who I want to follow or not. So I, I kept trying to tell people stop including me on this. And so <laughs> for whatever reason, people decided, Oh, let's just only tag Adam on the most like 
profane, uh, <laughs> like, like demented, um, like sicko behavior possible. Uh, <laughs> like, like obviously a few standards, but very few, like man arrested for running down the highway without pants on hashtag follow Adam Jacoby. It yeah. is, it's a blessing <laughs> and a curse. <laughs> yeah. I remember something about a, a stolen horse at some point and. Oh and yeah. yeah. Oh, you, horses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Adam, thank you so much for your time. We, we want to learn a little bit more about the Iowa Hawkeyes and maybe that's a character flaw on our part. Based oh, on guys, the... <laughs> you don't you don't want to know that. No, you don't. Uh, no, you don't. I, I know things are not rosy uh, for Iowa fans so far on the season. Um, just get us up to speed on what's new for the 2022 Iowa Hawkeyes. What's different this year than last year? Um, the the level of incompetence on <laughs> offense is new and different in that it is it's reaching new lows right now iowa is dead last in uh fbs in total yards per game with two a a little under 240 per game uh umass has more colorado state has more new mexico state who by the way um, debuted some really, really pretty helmets for their win over New Mexico last week. Love those hats. Um, they have more. If you take away defensive scoring, or at the very least, this was the case going into the bye week. I assume it's still the case. If you take away defensive scoring, Iowa had the worst scoring offense in the league as well. So we're talking about an offense that is so bad it was in the top 10, or pardon me, the bottom 10 in passing and in rushing per game, yards per game. So at the very least in years past, even when Iowa's offense wasn't great, there were a few things that they could do well. You can't point to anything this offense does well. It is legitimately jarring and it has caused a backlash among the fan base that is truer and deeper and more widespread than I've seen um well during the entire Kirk Ferentz era straight up it is the the mood at Kinnick Stadium which as you know was a fearsome place to play for years and years the mood is dire at this point these these guys get better receptions on the road than they do at home it's weird it's bad it's cursed it's absolutely not something they can uh, sustain but i don't know how they fix it either so all right so adam i have to ask them because that leads to the question i mean yeah brian ferentz i mean we joke about it and you're you're chuckling about it you know like Mm -hmm. michael and i michael and i were like okay, you know, like it would make those Sunday dinners with the family kind of awkward if dad fired his son. And I'm just, I mean, what is, is, is there any, is there any light at the end of the tunnel or is the light an oncoming train of just (laughs) of angry fans and, you know, administrators? Well, Well, the, if it were a train, that would at least be like something new and different. 
Um, the well, and and also to to go back a little further, Dad can't fire his son because of Iowa state law. By rule, by law, Brian has to report to the AD directly. He doesn't report to the head coach. Wink, wink. But that that is state law that that they had to circumvent to get this in place to begin with. And I don't know how that conversation is going to go over the offseason. I, I assume it's going to be the offseason because there's nothing about anybody involved that would suggest that a change is going to come sooner than that. And I, I don't think anybody in the fan base expects that either. But the offseason is going to be rough because Iowa doesn't have the booster fan base that Ohio State does, obviously. But it's a it's a booster base that is loud, proud, has a little bit of money, you know, more than Iowa State at the very least. Um, but it's also one that hasn't really been pushed like this in quite a while. And they've been the ones that have made sure that Kirk's seat has been as cool as possible, that he's gotten whatever money he's asked for. And, you know, for a program like Iowa, the results have been great up until now when they're not. Um, if So somebody asked me this past weekend during the bye week, what's the most likely outcome? And I told him it's probably firing the offensive line coach and everybody else stays the same. Is that the outcome anybody wants? No, outside of the Ferentz family. But there, un- unless something really changes money-wise, and, and I think that we're going to start to see that glacier thaw, I don't know how quickly that's going to happen. Unless something really, really lurches with the entrenched money, I don't know that there's any way out of this mess. But it's a mess. Absolutely is. And it's a shame because Iowa's defense really deserves better than this. Really deserves better. Yeah, Adam, let's talk about that defense a little bit. To, to give you something positive to talk about, <laughs> why don't we talk about that defense? Because Iowa's got as good a defense as you'll see in the country right now. And my question is this, rush defense, scoring defense, total defense, Iowa very, very high uh, nationally mm-hmm. ranked What's going on with the passing defense? Because the passing defense doesn't seem to be keeping up with the rest of the defensive responsibilities. Is it new players? Is it injuries? Uh, what's going on there? Well, it's it's a little bit twofold. The uh, defensive line is still banged up, pretty much has been all year. So in terms of being able to uh, put together a pass rush and sustain it for four quarters, they don't really have the fresh legs that you can draw on in those like third and fourth quarter drives, especially the ones that get sustained um, to help really push that back. And uh, on top of that, they have been missing a, a cornerback for most of the year. And, you know, it's, it's weird to say this about a reigning big 10 defensive back of the year, but we've seen some quarterbacks pick directly on Riley Moss. And he has responded iffily, not badly, not by any stretch. And, and he's still a good playmaker, but he is not, let's say, Sean Springs, right? He, he's not a guy where he's taken away half the field. And 
there isn't really much in the way of lockdown. Now, once players catch the ball, Iowa's secondary is very, very good at limiting yards after the catch. They're very good at limiting big plays. Uh, you, you never see somebody just running unencumbered down the field because of a blown assignment. So they, they play very disciplined ball. And, you know, ultimately, I think the stats bear out that they are a very, very good pass defense, but they're not, you know, elite. So uh, so it, it is that sort of mix of things. Some of it's scheme, some of it's depth, some of it is, you know, not having that elite player in the secondary as yet. Yeah. And before we let Chip ask his next question, I do want to point out, Iowa's still, I think, about 23rd or 24th in the country in pass yeah. defense. So it's it's not like they're bad. It's just that it, it isn't quite to the level of, of the rest of the defense. Mm-hmm. And and also, candidly, they haven't seen Ohio State's receivers yet either. Like, <laughs> you, you might see that go down uh, a, a few spots after this week. And it, it, is, it is not because Iowa's players have gotten worse. It's not because the coaching has gotten worse. It's because the level of competition will have stepped up substantially. And that is just, you know, as Kirk Ferentz says, that's football. So let's talk about the last time these storied programs met, which is a painful memory. I don't want to talk about that. Okay. (laughs) I I think I remember something about this. I think Iowa covered. Iowa covered yes. the spread. Yes, they time. did. But what, what I was going to say is part of what made that game so painful is Iowa was very successful at utilizing their tight ends in their passing mm-hmm. offense. And Iowa this year, despite all of the, you know, all of the, the, pro- the problems that you um, identified offensively for the Hawkeyes, they have Sam Laporta, and they have a name that's familiar to Ohio State fans, Luke Lachey. So, what mm-hmm. kind of problems would you would you you know for Ohio State fans like what kind of things you know in terms of like what kind of matchup problems Laporta and Lachey would present to the Ohio State defense? The um, you you mentioned the tight ends, and there was a really interesting offseason feature uh, on the Athletic. Uh, from Iowa's beat reporter who got to spend a, a little time with Brian Ferentz uh, to break down X's and O's. And one of the parts of that um, feature was, well, what's a game that you guys did well on offense? Obviously, 55-24 is going to be top of the list. And one of the things that Brian mentioned was they had seen in Ohio State film earlier in that season that the Buckeyes sort of struggled with unbalanced lines, especially once you stack tight ends to a side. And they they ran one play but didn't throw to the tight end just to see if it was still a problem for the Buckeyes, and it was. And then they started pressing that button and spamming that button, and the Buckeye defense was just never prepared for it. I don't think for a variety of reasons. I don't think that dynamic is going to be the same this year. Uh, I, I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I would suggest, one, Jim Knowles is better than that. Two, Ohio State, especially its offense, or excuse me, especially its defense, will have circled this game on its calendar for a long time and will be prepared for this and is really, really, 
going to want to take their pound of flesh for it. Um, certainly, that, that, that would be my motivation, at the very least. Now, in terms of what Iowa's tight ends actually bring, you know, the question asked, um, Sam Laporte is very good, um, a, a very well-rounded tight end, um, sort of a Dallas Clark type, uh, a guy that you really trust with the ball in his hands for yards after the catch, for example. Uh, good at not only running routes, but um, being able to break tackles in the open field. Uh, Luke Lachey, um, thanks for not offering him or not offering him in time because guy can play. And if he weren't behind Laporta, he would be uh, a really solid playmaker uh, statistically. Uh, we see some uh, athleticism, some more burst, I would say especially coming out of this route than we see with Laporta, and Laporta's no slouch there. Um, very good hands. He, he makes some very difficult catches. Um, <clears throat> doesn't quite have the same reputation as a blocker as yet, which might indicate why we haven't seen him on the field as much as Laporta. And even Laporta isn't, you know, on the George Kittle level of blocking either. So, uh, you know, we're not looking at a situation like, that 2017 team where both those tight ends ended up going in the first round of the NFL draft. I don't think that's going to happen with these guys. I really hope they both have NFL careers. I think Laporta is pretty well locked into a draft spot. I hope Lachey plays his way into that. But in terms of the like elite playmaking from that position, I think you're going to see a slight step down in this game compared to 2017. Adam, let's talk a little bit about Spencer Petras, the starting quarterback for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, God bless him. What is the, what are the things that he does well? What are the things that he's not doing well? And how much of his struggles this season are related to line play receivers or just plain poor coaching and development? Well, I think it's a lot of those factors all at once. Uh, the, the line play is especially concerning because last year's line was Tyler Lindenbaum or Linderbaum, pardon me, and four freshmen usually. And now that Linderbaum's gone and has been replaced with a sophomore of his own, often we see about five sophomores across the board. And Kirk Ferentz has earned a sterling reputation for offensive line development. Mm -hmm. We haven't quite seen it this year. And that plays directly into Petrus's biggest weaknesses, which are escapability in the pocket, uh, poise under pressure, you know, being able to, um, like, you, you don't have to turn into Michael Vick as soon as you see a guy open, but um, he's really struggled with sidestepping, with keeping his eyes upfield, being able to step into passes. And when he can't step into passes, his mechanics suffer greatly. So that's another situation where a disruptive defensive line disrupts Iowa's entire offense. And Brian Ferentz is not a dumb guy. I mean, he, he coached in the NFL successfully. Uh, when he was coaching Iowa's rushing game, it worked more often than not. But in this position, he sort of falls in love with his own play calls. And, and after 2017, you can kind of get by. But the play calling that we see from Iowa 
does not play into these guys' strengths. It does not account for the weaknesses on the line. So that's another situation where ultimately I don't think Petrus is being put in position to succeed. And he's just not a great quarterback on top of that. Doesn't have that like 10 to 15 yard touch that you really expect from great quarterbacks. His deep ball is beautiful and more accurate than you're going to see from most players. But because of injuries, especially at the wide receiver position, he doesn't really have a great rapport with the guys who are actually on the field any given week, especially when the guys who are on the field sort of changes week by week, depending on who's healthy. If they get Keegan Johnson back, uh, Keegan was a stellar freshman last year, uh, son of a former uh, Nebraska player, as a matter of fact, and uh, it was quite a coup to get him uh, out of Nebraska. If they can get him back, he is one of those, you just watch him play and you think, okay, yeah, that guy's going to the league. There's another guy named Deontay Vines who redshirted last year, really impressed in practice, uh, but got hurt late in the summer. Uh, He came back to practice last week. They've got their fingers crossed for him. He's another guy that really adds a like dynamic, good sized weapon for Petrus. But again, how much rapport does he have with him? Um, if he throws a ball in a certain direction, does the receiver know that, oh, it's going to go to my right or, uh, you know, to my outside shoulder? Because we haven't really seen that connection with the receivers who have been on the field already. And it's easy to blame the quarterback. Yeah, I think some of that goes on the receivers too. Um, so, a variety of problems at work here. And if they, if, if Iowa can figure it out within the last 14 days, I think Petrus is the best quarterback on the roster. And again, you know, there are some things he does well. Now, does it mean that Ohio state's going to see, you know, 20, you know, deep bombs come its way from Iowa's offense? Probably not, but maybe. We'll see. I I don't know how else Iowa's going to win. I, I don't know how else you play to Petrus' strength without just going vertical passing. And that's sort of like asking Kirk Ferentz to wear his hair in a mohawk, right? <laughs> like at, at, at some point you have to stop waiting and wishing for that to happen because you know it's not. Yeah. So you already mentioned Riley Moss, you know, in, on, on the defensive side. Can you give our listeners – Another defender that, okay, they need to be, okay, aware of, you know, like, who's this guy that is, you know, either rushing the pass or shutting down the run? I'm thinking of, you know, Jack Campbell. Maybe you're thinking, you know, like, you know, somebody else, you know, like prominent Iowa defender that mm-hmm. who can really step up in this game. Yeah, Campbell's obviously a pretty good shout, and he's going to be very rich in the NFL starting next year. For a guy that I think you guys need to keep your eye on, uh, Lucas Van Ness, or as my partner Pat calls him, the Luke Ness monster. He <laughs> is a defensive lineman who plays a whole lot like the Bosas. And I don't say that lightly, but he's this big, rangy, like play him inside, play him outside, um, super quick close. Um, and he's he's a guy who 
uh, was sort of a late bloomer physically. So he and so between that and being from the state of Iowa and not a major population center, didn't really get the recruiting attention that he probably deserved. But he blocked two punts against Iowa State. Um, has proven to be a great pass rusher from just about any technique that you want to put him in in the line. And is just getting better and better week by week. Uh, I, I think he is a future All-Big Ten player, maybe even future All-American. Um, Iowa sort of needs him to play his best game as a pass rusher more than they need Jack Campbell to play his best game. And they really need a whole lot out of, out of Jack Campbell, too. But uh, I think Van Ness is the closest thing to a dominant playmaker or a difference maker on that defense right now. Adam, before we get uh, get out of here and let you get back to your life, um, just wonder if you had a, a score prediction to hit us with here for, for this weekend's game. You know, it's, these, these positions are difficult because you don't want to be the guy that says, Oh yeah, the, the the team that I cover and and the team that I you know still have some residual rooting interest in, yeah, I think they're going to lose by fifty six, and then they pull yet another <laughs> like Kirk Ferentz miracle game. Um, but I have to say, I'm not optimistic. I'm not optimistic about how this defense stacks up against uh, elite talent like Ohio State because. You saw what Michigan did to them in the Big Ten Championship last year. Uh, Michigan played a very, very, very conservative offense and still like kept Iowa's defense on the field for about 40 minutes in this year's game, too. Um, and ultimately, Michigan's offense sort of made Iowa look the worst thing they could be, which is ordinary, Right. There's, there's always been this level of mystique about Kirk Ferentz teams, especially when their backs are up against the wall against elite teams. And they were sort of in that position in that going into that Michigan game and the 2021 Michigan game. And they just sort of got pumped. They just sort of looked like a, you know, your average seven win team at that point. Um, and from what I've seen from the Buckeyes, they call seven win teams lunch. So I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> so don't any Iowa fans seeing this. Let me say, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going to say probably 45 to seven, 45 to 10. That's where I'm going. All right. Well, I got to say, uh, Iowa's defense always, when you have a great defense, you always have a chance in any game. I've always believed that I, I was ridiculed for it. Uh, when I lived in South Florida and told all those Miami fans that I thought those Buckeyes could maybe hang with the hurricanes. So, um, <laughs> you never know, you never know. Uh, but we, re- we do appreciate you coming on and, and, and giving us the four one, one on the Hawkeyes, because it's not a, with the the size of the Big Ten and the the number of teams, which you know would you would think would be ten, but is not, uh, we don't always get to see all the teams in the other uh, other division of the conference. So we appreciate that. Uh, where can people find you on the internet to learn more about the Iowa Hawkeyes and and get more of your Hawkeye wisdom? Well, uh, first and foremost, it'll be goiowaawesome.com. and uh, we we got plenty of content there every day for all your Hawkeye needs. Uh, I am also on Twitter at, at Adam underscore Jacoby. That's Jacob with an I at the end. 
uh, and also our Iowa, our quite fiercely Iowa centric Twitter handle for Go Iowa Awesome. It's just at Iowa Awesome. So any takes that you see from that that you guys dislike, those weren't the ones that I wrote. And any of them that you do like, that's all me. Sounds good. Adam Jacoby, editor at large from Go Iowa Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure and a privilege. All right. Have a, have a, have a great uh, weekend. And uh, although we are going to be pulling for the Buckeyes, uh, we, we hope that it's, uh, what is the what is the phrase? Not in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I just want both teams to have fun out there. Yeah. You know? Get some exercise, some fresh air. <laughs> right. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Chip, we are back, and uh, boy, it's great to catch up with Adam Jacoby. He's just, he's a fun guy, and he knows his Iowa Hawkeyes, loves his Iowa Hawkeyes, and he's a great follow, so even though it is kind of a joke with the hashtag of follow Adam Jacoby, people really should follow Adam Jacoby. He's he's a great follow on Twitter. Yeah, and I have to respect, I mean, we've had, uh, we've had great guests, but, you know, Adam was unsparing in his criticism. Of mm-hmm. uh, I mean, like you said, he he follows the Hawkeyes. He he's rooting for the Hawkeyes, but he calls it like like he sees it, and and I respect that, you know. So yeah, absolutely, he's definitely worth a follow. Yeah, and and he's right. I have you know on Twitter, I follow a lot of writers and podcasters from around the Big Ten, and there has been a sea change in terms of the tone of the Iowa followers and how they have responded to this year's Iowa team and how fed up they are with with Brian Ferentz. It's been a joke for years about how if it's third and four, Brian Ferentz will throw a two-yard pass and that kind of thing. But it's really come to a head this year in a way that it that I have never seen it. So he's absolutely right. Well, I don't know if I shared this with you, but a close friend of mine from high school, um, kind of a long story, but he his daughter attends Iowa. So he was in the, he was in attendance for the season opener against uh, South Dakota state. And long story short, um, I can't, you know, I know we're kind of a family oriented podcast here. (laughs) I can't repeat everything that he just, but he basically said without a doubt, that was the most frustrating football game that he has ever seen. Because when you think about the fact, you know, how Iowa is winning these games, like Adam, said you know it's it's a shame that the Iowa defense is being let down by such a just dreadful offense kind of what we said last year about Ohio State's defense letting down that offense yeah that's true that's true yeah all right uh before we get into our predictions for Ohio State and Iowa or Ohio as uh as they used to put on the scoreboard I don't know if they still do that I wonder if they do um, I don't think so it was it was a very odd thing to put up there. It was it was very strange, but uh, that's what they used to put up on the scoreboard at Ohio Stadium whenever the Hawkeyes were in town. Um, we'll go through some of the other big games uh, on the weekend just briefly. Uh, Utah knocked USC out of the ranks of the unbeaten with a late touchdown and two point conversion to win forty three forty two. Lincoln Riley has got USC playing very very well offensively. USC's defense is still not great, uh, and this time they ran into a team on the road 
uh, where they felt like you feel like 42 points is probably enough to win most games, but uh, it was not here. And, uh, you, you know, very, very big win for Kyle Whittingham's Utah Utes. And they had to survive some very Pac-12 after dark refereeing in this game. Yeah, the curse of Alex Grinch uh, is still prevalent. Uh, you know, he he followed, you know, for whatever reason, Lincoln Riley had the opportunity to to leave him behind, but he he brought him out west. And so, uh, you know, now the USC defense is, is feeling the effects of the Grinch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, you know, again, Saturday night, I didn't really watch as much of the USC-Utah game as, as mm-hmm. you did, but I've seen on, on social media – just scores of criticism of, you know, the Pac-10, excuse me, the Pac-12 officials. Yeah. Uh, You know, when uh, Alex Grinch left Oklahoma, his replacement also gave up 42 points uh, this week uh, to Kansas, but his offense scored 52 as Oklahoma knocked the Jayhawks off. And the Jayhawks now for two weeks in a row have been agonizingly close to bowl eligibility. They were ranked. They, you know, I haven't seen the new rankings. I don't know if they got knocked out of the top 25, but they've lost two straight, very close games. Um, and Oklahoma won that 52 to 42. Uh, hopefully the, the Jayhawks can, uh, can get that elusive, uh, sixth win here soon. They'll get it. I think, I mean, we're, we're at the midpoint of the season. I think they've got one more, at least one more in them yeah. to get to that magic number. Uh, big game in the Big 12, though, was uh, at TCU. Oklahoma State going to TCU, uh, two top 15 teams. And this one lived up to its billing. And it looked like Oklahoma State had a good a good road win going. And then TCU came back, forced overtime, and won it in overtime 43-40. to 40. And so Oklahoma State no longer unbeaten. And TCU rolls on, and uh, the Frogs are unbeaten. And again, you know, the just kind of the mystery of, like, who's going to take charge of that Big 12? You know, like TCU, you know, the fact that, like you said, that they're still un, un, uh, unbeaten. I mean, the, right now they're in the driver's seat, but who knows? We've got a lot of football still to be played. Absolutely. A lot of big games still to go. So those were the big games that I was keeping an eye on this weekend, and um, it was – it was an incredible day of college football. I mean, anybody that got up and watched from noon to, to late in the evening, like I did, you were treated to one of the best days that we've had in years in terms of, of fantastic finishes, um, you know, big rivalries, unbeaten teams going down. Uh, it was, it was a fun day. I agree. I agree. It was, it, it was enjoyable all around, you know, like I said, you know, the, and it wasn't, enjoyable watching Penn State get throttled, but it was good to see, you know, Big Ten opponents and then switching over to the SEC, like you said, talking about like the the Pac-12, the Big 12. I mean, there were just good games all throughout. Yeah. All right, Chip, the Iowa Hawkeyes coming to Ohio Stadium. Uh, Iowa fans been crowing about that big win for years now. And as they should be. I mean, if you are... If you're a follower of one of uh, the so-called little eight, as they used to call them in the big two, little eight uh, conference, when they used to to say that about the big 10, you hang your hat on those upsets and those wins over the the top two teams. And Iowa had the bragging rights and it's up to Ohio state to make them forget about that game. And that could happen this weekend as the, the Hawkeyes roll into Ohio stadium for 
uh, probably what should have been the the homecoming game. It should have been. And right now, and I don't want to jinx it. Um, I know you're you're speaking in, you know, down in, in Florida, and I'm up here in Ohio. But right now, um, as we record this, the weather forecast for Columbus on Saturday is to be a beautiful day. It's supposed to be like 70 degrees. So for this time of year, I mean, that <laughs> you you seize those days when you when you have an opportunity because they are fleeting. Yeah. The Hawkeyes come into this game at three and three, one and two in the Big Ten. And I mean, Ohio State's, I don't know what the current line is because I'm not a degenerate gambler chip, but it, it's a pretty good point spread from what I understand. I want to say, yeah, I'm not a degenerate gambler either, <laughs> um, but I want to say that Ohio State's favored by at least, I want to say like 25, maybe 28. I mean, like it's it's up there. In you know, like it that can fluctuate between now and kickoff. I would like to see Ohio State cover that spread, but I I have seen I've seen Iowa a lot over the years, and like I said to Adam, I mean, if you have a good defense, you can you can hang around even if you don't win. You can you can make a the the highly favored team very uncomfortable, and and that's something that's certainly a possibility when you have a defense as good as Iowa's has played. Yeah, they, that that's kind of their their mo actually. Iowa they they bring they bring their opponent down to their level through that you know like that defense you know their special teams you know like just you know kind of almost like a trussle ball type of approach um, you know. But you know I think like to Adam's point, I don't think Iowa has played an offense as productive as Ohio State's yet. Yeah, we'll have to see if if Ohio State has you know, can play against a very good rush defense. Can they still get those chunk yards in the run game? Like they've been getting all year. Um, um, we'll have to see if Mayan Williams returns, obviously. And, uh, and Travion Henderson, obviously coming off a big game in the, the last Ohio state game. So, uh, hopefully the Buckeyes will have their one, two punch because they're going to need, you're going to need to have both of those guys. You're going to need to have thunder and lightning going in a game like this. Absolutely. Like you said, let's hope that everyone is taking advantage of the bye week and, and fully recovered. Yeah. And I know they were targeting this game to have Jackson Smith and Jigba back. Uh, obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka have been fantastic uh, in his absence this season. And, and even Julian Fleming has been very good. And, and then you get Xavier Johnson could be an X factor in a game like this. You never know. I mean, it, I think it really will depend on the health of Mayan Williams or Travion Henderson, where he lines up. Like, I mean, he, like you said, he could be the X factor. He could line up at running back, wide receiver. It just really depends on the health of the of the team. Mm -hmm. I, I, if this was my team, I would have a package in for Xavier Johnson for sure. After, from what he's shown this year, at multiple different positions, doing multiple different things, throw him in there. And have a package for him where you can run six or seven different plays. Maybe even have him throw a pass. Who knows? He could probably do that too. Never know. Give give the defense something to think about. <laughs> exactly. On defense, Ohio State should be able to shut down the Hawkeyes. The, the defensive line has been good at stopping the run. Uh, we talked about how good Iowa's defense is this year. And if you look at the rankings, Ohio State's right up there with them in all these categories. Ohio State has, right now, Ryan Day said he wanted a top-10 defense. 
right now, Ohio State has a top 10 defense. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, playing against Iowa with all the struggles that Adam articulated, you know, Ohio State should still have a top 10 defense, but again, they've got to prove it out on the field. Ohio State is rated fifth in the nation in total defense. Uh, that is pretty good. The Buckeyes are ranked 10th, top 10 in scoring defense. And, you know, some of that scoring has come late in games with backups in too. So that, that's kind of uh, probably kept them from being even higher. Uh, in the run game, the Buckeyes are ninth in the country. So again, very, very strong, very stout. And uh, in the passing game, as much as we have bemoaned some of the cornerback play this year, Ohio State's seventh in the country. Right. I mean, again, there are things that need to be improved upon, but, you know, we we talk about, you know, last year, you know, the, just the stark difference in terms of, you know, the offense carrying the load for the defense. I mean, it's nowhere remotely close to what we were experiencing last year. Yeah. Um, and the fun thing, too, is, is that, you know, it's always fun when the guest leaves and then you realize that you've made – a colossal mistake and you swapped some things, but uh, Iowa actually is a very good pass defense and is 20 something 23rd against the rush. So I had that backwards. That's on me. Uh, you can at me. I can take it. <laughs> well, I, again, I, I, I think that the point overall is that Iowa, the, the defense is, is carrying more than its, its share of the load, you know, for the, for the entire team. Yeah. So uh, it, just leaves us with the one last bit of business chip. And that's to, to determine what we think is going to happen on Saturday at noon. We got the big nude kickoff and uh, we have to, we have to put it out there. We have to put our, our reputations on the line, give our picks to click and our score predictions for Saturday. And uh, so if we go back two weeks, we started with the defensive side of the ball. So we're going to start on offense and chip. Who is your offensive pick to click for the Buckeyes? I'm going with Ameka Egbuka. Um, you know, I realize that, you know, we, we're talking about the, the, the strong Iowa defense and, you know, who knows where Riley Moss, you know, in terms of, you know, who he's going to be lined up against. But I think Egbuka is due for another game. I think he's kind of shown the ability to, to break some big plays. Mm-hmm. It's a good pick. Um, I don't want to take Marvin Harrison Jr. because every time I do, he has a quiet game. So I'm sure he would appreciate it if I don't take him. Uh, this is a, one of those games where we talked about the Iowa tight ends. We talked about the Iowa tight ends and how good they are and, and how much, uh, you know, the, the sort of their offensive philosophy relies on the tight end. And it seems like whenever that happens, Ohio State has a tight end that has a good game. So I'm going to pick Cade Stover here. With the, the caveat that when I pick him to click, that might only mean three catches for 60 yards uh, because that's just based on, on how often he's targeted by the Ohio State play calling. Um, I, I like Stover to maybe have some something like that, maybe a three-catch 60-yard game, maybe a touchdown. So I'm going to go with that as my pick to click and, and hope that he can pull that off. It just seems like when you when you look at a team and you see them doing something successfully, it almost is like a light bulb that goes off and go, hey, we could probably do some of that too. And and you sometimes see a team that plays against a team with a like say a good receiver or a good running back 
sometimes your team or your receiver or your running back has a big game in response to that. So I'll I'll go with that. And also because they haven't really been targeting Cade Stover as much in the last couple of games, I think he's just due to come back and have a, a, a nice game. Oh, it makes sense. I think I like the I, I respect the logic of that. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball, Chip, I am going to go back to the well with Tommy E. Uh, this is a, a, the kind of offense where a middle linebacker should have opportunities to make tackles. And uh, and so Tommy could end up with one of those nine or ten tackle days. Again, like the pick, completely understandable. Uh, he's the linchpin of the defense. Since this is a, an offense, Iowa, uh, that that does have some quality tight ends. Uh, I know that this is kind of going out on, on a limb here, but I'm going to go with, with uh, Ronnie Hickman. Um, I think, you know, in terms of just kind of playing uh, that kind of quasi linebacker slash safety role, I think he'll be called upon to try and negate any of the big plays from the tight ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good pick. Uh, if Certainly if you had gone first on defense, I would have, I would have taken Ronnie had you taken Tommy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but and those, it and it almost seems like stealing because those two seem to have the two most tackles every week. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, again, <laughs> it, it it just goes to show, you know, what what good coaching and a good scheme can do to, you know, to allow players to flourish. Mm-hmm. And one thing I will be keeping an eye on in this game based on what Adam told us is that, you know, he mentioned disruptive disruptive defensive lines can cause all kinds of problems to Iowa's offense. If Michael Hall Jr. is healthy and good to go, yep. he's the kind of player that can force Spencer Petras into some mistakes. Absolutely. I mean, look how disruptive he was in limited, very limited time against Michigan State. Uh, you know, if like you said, if he's healthy and, and plays significantly more, he could be a major factor. Exactly. All right, it's time for our score predictions, Chip. I've already written mine down, so I want to get yours and okay. uh, and see if we're, you know, we're we're always kind of within a touchdown, maybe nine points of each other on each side of the the ball, maybe a little closer with the opponents. Um, so, what are you thinking? What do you think uh, is going to happen when the Hawkeyes come a calling? I think Iowa defensively, they'll they'll do their best to slow down Ohio State, but. The Adams point, I, I don't think that they have enough, uh, you know, to slow them down completely. So I'm going to go Ohio State 35, Iowa 10. Okay. That's <laughs> that's a lower scoring game than I expected from you. And it proves that once again, you and I share a lot of uh, similar thoughts. <laughs> uh, I have actually have a prediction of Ohio State 37, Iowa 16. I think we might have to settle for a couple field goals this week um, out of uh, out of Noah Ruggles. We might have to see some Noah Ruggles kicking. Um, and I think that Iowa's got a good enough defense. If they can force a turnover or two, they might get a few more points than than what you would normally expect out of their offense. Is like one of those things where just be based on where they get the ball, they might be in a position to uh, to put points on the ball on the board. I don't think that the Iowa offense can drive down the field repeatedly on Ohio State, but I think their defense can set them up in good field position. Well, I agree. I, I think that they, again, I, I said it a few moments ago, I th- they always just play, you know, it's maddeningly, you know, conservative, and but, it, you know, it's the kind of thing where they just stick around and, 
you know, slowly but surely, methodically, you know, like they they just stay in the game longer than you would expect. So mm-hmm. yeah, what you're saying in terms of, you know, them being able to put some points on the board, I agree with that. And I think too that like you were you kind of alluded to this. Iowa kind of drags you into a rock fight and mm-hmm. and it becomes a, a situation where the clock is running and you're not seeing as many plays and you're not seeing, you know, up tempo offense where they're rushing to the line of scrimmage and going uh, high speed and, and not that Ohio state's done a lot of that this year anyway, but I, I think that that lends itself to a lower scoring game than probably a lot of people are thinking. And, and when I see that, that betting line be so high, I, you know, those guys in Vegas know what they're doing. So they usually are pretty, pretty good at that. But in this case, I think there'll be a lot of people tempted to take, I think, the under on that and and uh, or the you know bet Iowa because of the the big spread and and maybe this is a maybe this time Vegas doesn't know what they're doing I don't know <laughs> it's entirely possible they're a bunch of degenerates you know yeah exactly you can throw the keep throwing that out there but um <laughs> yeah that's fine <laughs> I said what I said <laughs> uh, uh yeah so I, I think that we're again, we're very close. I mean, we're two points apart on Ohio State score and six on the other side. So I don't know. It's almost like we brain share sometimes. <laughs> well, considering we don't we don't actually, you know, identify it ahead of time. I mean, it is kind of interesting. Yeah. We I mean, we don't really t- I mean, you and I have not talked since our last show. So it's not like we right, right. You we don't have these conversations and 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 hash these out and, and kind of sway each other. This is like, you know, I think, I think we, we might like each other's tweets a couple times over the course of a week, or maybe retweet something. And, and we talk about who, you know, what the guest is going to, who the guest is going to be through Twitter, but we don't really talk and, and talk about the game. So when you and I record, that's the first time we talk about it. And then, yeah, like I said, I, I already had mine typed out. I was like, and I've, I'm thinking you're going to go like 45 to 10 or something like that. Well, I mean, that's kind of where Adam was, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he was kind of, you know, he, he really, I don't want to say that he doesn't have faith in Iowa. He just, he, he, the way he put it is that Iowa has not yet played a team with the offensive arsenal that Ohio state has. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what led to his high score. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because when you're, you know, and that's why we put these guys on the spot when we want to get their honest opinion of what we think, what is, what is their gut telling them is going to happen this week? Because we're coming at it from the opposite side and we, we might, you and I have been around long enough to remember when there were a lot more uncomfortable games than there are now, a lot more close games than there are now. And, and when a, a big 10 opponent that may not even be very good could every once in a while jump up and get you. And that's, that hasn't been the case for several years. I mean, kids did these kids today. They don't know how good they've got it, but exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> you know, you lose one game and everybody loses their mind. And we're like, that's just one. Come on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We've become spoiled. That's for sure. We, yes, we are. We're very spoiled and, and we like it. We like being spoiled. But we come at this from a little bit more caution and a little bit more, you know, these are the kinds of things that can happen. And then on the other side, we, you know, they're going, yeah, no, you guys are going to kick our rear ends. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So um, 
anyway, uh, that's it. That's all we got for this week. Uh, there's nothing to do now except to to sit back, watch the game, come back next week and talk about it and, and see how Ohio State did and then look forward to the next one because that's what we do during the college football season, Chip. Yeah, enjoy it while we can. That's right. So uh, the uh, the thing now that we always do is tell people where they can find us online. And Chip, why don't you get us started with that? All right. I can be found on Twitter at Chip Minnick, last name spelled M-I-N-N-I-C-H. I will be putting a three things to watch from Iowa article on Land Grant Holy Land around 12 o'clock Eastern. Um, so look for that as well as an article for Athlon Sports previewing the Ohio State-Iowa game. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike36Fan. And uh, you can read my stuff at Land Grant Holy Land. I just, uh, since we didn't have a game this week, it was a bye week. I went positive, Chip. I didn't, uh, I didn't don my grumpy old Buckeye persona. I said some nice things about some young men that play for Ohio State. And I gave my... My top 10 players, my player power rankings for Ohio State through that the midway point in the season. So uh, go look for that at Land Grant Holy Land. That was supposed to run on Monday. They they switched it up on me and ran it Sunday, but that's fine. Yeah, I thought I, yeah, I was going to say, I thought I saw it earlier. So yeah, well, see, that's what happens. You, you write early and they say, okay, well, we got content. We may as well churn it on out. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But uh, yeah, I was, I was a little surprised by that. I like running on Monday because, uh, they, the numbers say that Monday, when people are not wanting to do any work, they <laughs> read the internet and then you get more hits. There you go. That makes, <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Rather than posting it on Sunday when everybody's watching NFL games. There you go. Uh, all right. So yeah, find me there. And of course you can, uh, you can find us on Twitter. The silver bullets podcast on Twitter is silver without an e s-i-l-v-r bullets pod at silver without an e bullets pod and you can email us at silver bullets pod at gmail.com if you want to just say hey if you want to ask us a question uh, if you want to give us some pointers on how to podcast any of that is welcome take it all (laughs) that's right all right so coming back next week to talk about the iowa game we're going to get ready for penn state and Penn State has been announced as a noon kickoff. So, yes, another noon game. Yeah, we're going to be pantsless two weeks in a row. We. Oui. <laughs> 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 speak for yourself up here. It's a little chilly to be pantsless. Well, you're inside. Come on. <laughs> you know, don't be a baby. <laughs> Besides, what you. When when you guys uh, come down here and we're all huddled in our in our sweatshirts and you're like it's 55 degrees and, and you're in shorts and, and you're making fun of us, well, you know, there it's you the go. Same thing. All there right, so that will do it. Thank you so much to Adam Jacoby for stopping by, the uh, editor at large at Go Iowa Awesome. Go check him out. It's, it's, like I said, a great Twitter follow, um, and. Uh, yeah, you won't be sorry. He's he's a funny guy, and he's uh, he's very knowledgeable about sports, and he's he's always tweeting about you know the the big thing that's going on. So uh, it's it's kind of like you can you can have enjoyment, like if you're watching a like a World Series game, and you can see what he's saying about it. It's kind of like a two 
screen experience. There you go. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So uh, we thank Adam for his time. And uh, yeah, we, we certainly hope to talk to him again uh, down the road. Chip, that's it. We're done. The only thing left right. for us to do. You were going to say something there? No, I, I'm ready. I'm ready whenever you are. All right. Yeah, I know. We want to go. We want to go check out some scores. Uh, that's it. We'll be back next week. The only thing left for us to do is to say, go Bucks. Go Bucks.